You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. What's up, 26ers? Welcome to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and this episode features Trent Griffin Broth. Trent is the founder of Tech Valley Hospitality Shuttle and CEO of GB Logistics. After his father passed away when he was just nine years old, Trent's mother moved the family from the Bronx to upstate New York. By high school, he was known as a class clown, but because he was also a basketball player, he was basically passed through. After getting kicked out of junior college, Trent turned to the streets and caught his first charge before he was even out of his teens. He ended up serving three and a half years on a four to 12 year sentence. And after avoiding a second conviction as a result of an illegal search and seizure, Trent set out on the straight and narrow path. He started out working for a temp agency, taking whatever work he could get. And he eventually moved into hospitality, starting with cleaning toilets and climbing the ladder all the way to general manager of a hotel. But through his work in this space, Trent saw a path to entrepreneurship, transportation. After pitching local hotels on the cost effectiveness of outsourcing their shuttle service, Trent launched Tech Valley Hospitality Shuttle in Albany with six clients already lined up. Despite early success, the business has seen its fair share of obstacles, from the advent of Uber and Lyft to a global pandemic that brought travel to a grinding halt. But Trent found ways to pivot, including launching GB Logistics to serve as an Amazon delivery service partner. Today, Trent has a fleet of over 40 vehicles between the two businesses, and GB Logistics is ranked number two in the nation amongst Amazon's delivery service partner network. And not only that, Trent has leveraged his enterprise to serve the local community and provide career opportunities to the formerly incarcerated. So without further ado, here's his story. Trent, welcome to the December 26th podcast. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. I am really excited to have this conversation. We met kind of randomly, even though I feel like it's never a random meeting uh, that happens. And uh, I've been really looking forward to talking to you and getting more into your story. Um, And I'm inspired by what you've been able to do. So we know you have a heart out. So let's make it happen. (laughs) All right, let's do it. Let's dive in. I'm excited. All right. Who is Trent Griffin Broth? That's a lot. That's a packed question. Um, so Trent Griffin Broth is a, a son, a brother. Um, have two brothers. He's a, a father, four kids. Um, he's a husband of 12 years. Um, he's a business owner, own multiple uh, businesses in transportation. Um, from passenger transportation to uh, logistics. He's a leader, leader within the community, leader within my organizations, leader within my family. Um, you know, uh, he, he's someone who's uh, come from, you know, adversity and, you know, been able to, what, what we coined is uh, from felon to, to Forbes. And so um, Trent Griffin Broth has, seems like he lived multiple lives in his 37 years thus far. Um, and probably going to live a couple more lives as the future progress. But um, as of as of right now, Trent Griffin Broth is is uh, someone who cares about his community. Uh, he tries to give back through um, his experience, through my experience. I'm talking to third person now, um, and and uh, someone who uh, you know is const- is trying to help others realize that transportation and poverty go hand in hand, and we have we have the opportunity to change that. Um, it's a systematic issue. And if it was something that it wanted to be addressed, it would be. Um, but since it hasn't, why don't we just take that into our own hands and you know, we change that, how that looks. And so I'm sure we'll dive into that a little bit more, but that's a little bit of who Trent Griffin Broth is. Awesome. Now you spoke a little bit about living these multiple lives. Take me back to young Trent. Who were you at that time? Um, young Trent was a class clown. Um, you know, someone who always was looking to have fun. Um, young Trent was someone who was definitely about his money um, and always wanted to make money. Um, a, a hustler forever. Like I remember selling lollipops in school, uh, almost getting suspended. Um, 
I remember, you know, saving lunch money for for weeks to months at a time to buy Tommy Hilfiger clothes. Like so um always just try to figure out a way to to make some cash. Um, but in my youth, you know, I love basketball. Um, I'm originally from the Bronx. Um, and uh, my father passed away when I was nine. I moved upstate New York to Albany. Um, I think a lot of it, a lot of what I would do at that time was just play ball. That was my escape. That was my safe space. That's kind of how I dealt with it. Um, and the passion for basketball was everything. So in high school, I played basketball. You know, that's all I do other than chasing girls. And then um, and then after high school, um, which I barely passed because, again, I'm a class clown. I'm getting pushed through because I'm good in basketball. Um, I graduate, but it wasn't good. Um, I ended up going to a junior college. I fell out the first semester because I got the same mentality. Um, and then after that, I just come home and I just start running the streets. It's like I'm, a, I'm an adult, so I got to figure out I got to make money. Um, and so, you know, I jump into the game and I start hustling. Um, well, hustling, selling narcotics. Um, and I ended up doing that for maybe two years. I ended up getting caught. Um, I, I, I ended up getting sentenced to a four to 12 year prison sentence at the age of 19. Um, after serving about three and a half years in prison, um, I was released. But during my incarceration, I think that's where a lot of the growth start, started to happen. And being in that youth stage still, you know, I used, uh, I used my time in prison. Um, I went to college courses. Um, I used my time in prison to, you know, just start to focus on my physical uh, health, my, my mental health. Unbeknownst to me, um, that's like really when I started to read books because, um, you know, you're just trying to pass time. Um, a lot of chess. Um, and that's kind of was my introduction also to um, into um, starting to meditate, um, taking time to meditate. And so, um, you know, that was the youth in me. Um, after I, I get released from prison, I'm 23 years old at the time. Um, I have to start completely fresh. Um, I have to really humble myself. I know a lot of people say they was like selling drugs and stuff and and, and whatnot. I know a lot of people were, um, but I was really like doing it. And, you know, like we were really doing it. And especially at a young age, me and my team were called MH, most hated. Um we were just about that life and we were really doing it at a, at a higher level, especially for teenagers. Um, and, um, so to come back home and the majority of my peers are still, still run, they still live in that life. Um, they didn't get caught. So they still running the bag up. And now I had to make some tough decisions because obviously the opportunity was there. You know, I was one of the leaders of the team. So, you know, it, it was kind of laid out for me. You come home, we got you. And, um, and, Honestly, I, I I I did jump into it for a moment. Um, the youth in me. Um, I ended up actually almost catching another case. I did catch another case actually. Um, I got pulled over coming back from the city. Me and, and one of my buddies, co-defendant, and um, basically they found a brick in the car. Um, at the Wade hearing. Um, so I get locked up. I'm on parole. Um. And so I'm, I can't do anything because now they put a parole hole on me, so I can't bail out or anything. Um, so I'm just fighting it from inside. I had a pretty good lawyer. Um, and, you know, he was just like, look, this thing seems like a legal search and seizure from what from what I gather. And so um, we take it to, to the Wade hearing. That was like a little bit before going to trial because I wasn't copping out. And um, and they had to suppress the evidence. And so me and my co-defendant, we were done. That's done and over with. Um, and that was my eye opener because I, I missed the birth of my first daughter during that time. And I just knew those six months fighting it in the county was tougher than the three and a half years that I did in prison. Because in, when I was in prison, I didn't have any kids like it was just me. At that point, I, I had someone out there. And so um, by the graces of God, you know, we end up um, that gets suppressed. And I said I, I made a commitment to myself that I would never allow myself to go back to jail, especially for no drugs or anything like that. I said, there's too much money out here. I just have to figure out the way. And so that's really when I humbled myself. And I was like, look, I got to work. I need to get a job. So I started working for temp agencies. It was hard to find a job. I, I ended up staying at a temp agency for over a year's time. And um, I would just, I literally separated myself from everyone. I put myself in a bubble. It was me, my wife, well, my girlfriend at the time, and my daughter. Um, and I just was working, you know, she was working. We just figured we wanted to better ourselves. I started to throw parties 
um, just to, you know, have some additional income. Most of the people from around my way had no idea I was even working. Like in their eyes, I probably looked like I was still doing the same stuff um, because I'm throwing parties night at the nightclubs. But by day I'm working and I'm sweeping floors, I'm cleaning toilets and um, I'm reading books on how to be a good manager. I'm, um, you know, I'm taking time for training and for opportunities that weren't available yet. But I was aligning myself for when the opportunity came. And my big break came in the form as a front desk job at a Marriott. Um, I, I was a houseman cleaning the toilets, training with Rebecca. I never forget. She, she gave me the drop first. Like, Trent, I'm, I'm moving to Florida, um, but I think you'd be great with the customers. And so let me train you a little bit. And so she used to train me on how to check people in, answer the phones. And then um, so when she put her notice in, she told him, like, hey, I've been working with Trent. I think he would be great in the, in, in the role. They gave me the shot. And that was literally all I needed because once I that opportunity, within six months, I was the front desk manager. Within a year and a half, I was the operations manager. And within a, probably two years from there, I was the general manager. And so... So that that's a lot, right, to un- unpack, right? Just in that, those are multiple chapters of a, of a life story. Um, and I, I want to take it back because when I think about Albany and a lot of us who did not grow up, you know, in upstate New York, all we know mm-hmm. is government. Like I, I don't, I don't think about Albany in the sense that there are the same sort of issues that that are happening in a more urban location like the Bronx, right? Um, but we all know there are issues right. everywhere. Right. But thinking like going all the way back to you being born and raised in the the Bronx, losing your father. Let's let's take it there first. How did you end up? In Albany, like who made the decision? Was it your mom? Mm-hmm. How did you end up leaving the Bronx for upstate mm-hmm. New York? Which is like seems like worlds apart. Nah, definitely. Uh, yeah, that was that was just all my mom. Um, she was originally from Albany, so uh, that's where she was born and raised at. And um, so after my father passed, she she want she needed her support system. She knew it takes a village, and so um, so she wanted to be closer to home, and so um, she came back home to be with family. And so that's how we ended up in up in, in upstate New York. <laughs> so like I we are around the same age bracket. I got a, a few years on you, but I, I remember, right? That was the Tommy era, that was the Nautica era. Mm-hmm. I was like, you had to be fly. We were rocking like the M Gears and the Timberlands of Jersey. Um, and people would do whatever it took. But thinking about you as an athlete, right? All this potential, all this talent, and you mentioned that teachers are pushing you through the process, getting, you know, getting kicked out of junior college. What was your mindset at that point, having been an athlete and thinking about all the promise and opportunity that could come from that to, to further your education and your career? What was your mindset at that time? Even outside of the, I need to get money, just my, ath- my athletic dreams are over at this point. Mm-hmm. No, that was it. I mean, I, 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 I'm only five, eight, so I identify quickly. I wasn't going to the league. Um, you know, I didn't have no no D1 people knocking on the doors. So I kind of, you know, it was a passion and I continued to play, but it was it wasn't going to it wasn't going to pay the bills. So, you know, it was nothing more than, than play time for me. But I will say through basketball, I learned looking back at it today, I've learned that the the hard work I put in, you know, all of those years shooting hoops in grandma's backyard when no one was there playing in the rain, like all of that stuff. That is what led up to and helped me even graduate high school. And, you know, it was very competitive. We're upstate New York, but there was some ballers. Like, it, it was serious. Like, it, it was real serious, real competitive. Um, a lot of people went on to play professionally. And, um, and but for me, I wasn't even supposed to be on that team because I was raised a Jehovah Witness. So, like, I couldn't go to um, practices. Like, my mom, you know, we had to go three times a week, which is like the church. And so um, I couldn't even play on the teams because I couldn't commit to it. So um, once I got old enough to say, you know, I'm not going to the hall anymore and I want to play basketball, you know, I was able to then be part of the teams. But by then, they kind of already had built up, you know, who they liked, who they've been playing with for years. And so I had to crack that code. And so I had to be really, really good and outwork people to 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 even get those opportunities. So when I look back at it now, 
those are some of the, the seeds I learned from playing basketball was if you put the hard work in um, and, you know, you might not see it right away, but in time it, it, it grows and, you know, you plant those seeds and eventually there's a harvest season. And, um, you know, and basketball also helped me through prison because in jail, you know, um, that was, again, that was a place where I could go and escape everything. Because when I'm on the court, all I'm thinking about is ball. I'm not even in prison when I'm on the court. We're just playing ball. And so um, so that was like an escape through prison. And also it helps you network like anywhere else. If you play ball, you wanted a baller. So, you know, in prison, then I became a baller. And so um, that kind of helped me get through my bid, like problem free. So I could just focus on, you know, being a better version of me. So this being raised Jehovah's Witness is an interesting fact. Now, knowing what I know about being raised in that environment, when you decide that you're done with it, a lot of times your family, your disfellowship, like your family's like, well, we can't communicate with you. So thinking about the fact that you walked away from the hall and then also the life that you chose to lead, mm-hmm. what was the d- dynamic like with your mother? So I, so that's true. Um, the thing about that, though, is if you're baptized, then you're like, like you said, then you're disfellowship. So you're kind of no longer a part of the fellowship until you earn that back. Um, being I was never baptized, I never took the plunge. Um, that was never a thing because it was like I was never officially on the other side of things, I guess. Um, so naturally, though, being that my family were all still going to the church and they still do to this day, um, you know, they had their feelings. but. Um, it was never a disfellowship thing for me. Like my family was always still able to talk to me. They always still were there for me. Naturally, they didn't support um, my incarceration, but they did support me. And so they would come visit me and make sure I was still good. So that didn't really put a strain on our relationship at all. But if I would have got baptized at a young age, that would that would have put a strain on the relationship. Got it. So you do this three and a half year bid, come home facing new charges, are able to circumvent that, get into the hospitality industry. Now, we all know hospitality at that you know entry level does not pay a lot at all. Now, having been somebody who was literally getting to the money and probably had friends still in that life, I know you mentioned you just tried to insulate yourself, but what kind of psychological effect did that have on you, particularly as a, a man with a young family at this point? Um, I think it made me, it made my psyche stronger um, because I had to I didn't care what other people think. I had to kind of shun what other people thought, what they what they cared about, how, how they looked at me, how they looked at us. Um, and I just had, I knew I was on a mission. So it was like um, as I've gotten older and, and I've learned who I am, I've learned that I'm very much mission driven. And so when I have something in front of me that I want to accomplish, I'm just going to work at it and work at it. I'm never going to accept no. I'm going to keep going until it's accomplished. Um, I didn't really notice that when I was young or know that about me. But during this period is when I started to really understand that. And so for me, it was a strength because I was able to turn what might be perceived as a weakness, uh, kind of getting away from my social skills and things of that nature, social groups. um, But it allowed me to focus on who Trent is. And I think um, that was a big part of my development. And I think it's something I always tell people, you got to take time to know you. Like you can't help anyone. You can't do anything until you know who you are. And so during that time period, that's all I focused on or was on Trent, learning who Trent was and, and what Trent liked and what Trent was good at and what I wasn't good, wasn't good at. And I, then I would work on those things so I could get good at. And so um, it was it was a, a real good period for me, a lot of growth. Um, and then naturally with the relationship, you know, during that time, sometimes you could grow in opposite directions. And some of that we experienced a little of that. I think I was growing a little bit maybe not too fast, but maybe in a different direction at the time. And, um, but, you know, it was, all it, it all came full circle. And it also, you know, in me doing it, I found that even my partner, she started to really focus on herself and growing. So again, going back to being a leader, um, I was leading by example, unbeknownst to me at the time. So you get into the hotel industry, how you started from a a temp perspective, right? From a temp agency, but you get into the hotel industry and you and you climb the ladder there. When you talk to to folks who have done time, uh, hard time in prison, the first thing they generally say is like, I, I, I got a record. Like nobody's going to hire me. So how did you overcome that? You know, now we have the band, the box and all that, but we're talking about a different time and space. So how did you overcome that? So 
through um, trial and error. And also, um, you know, at first I was being de- denied jobs. That's why I was working at a temp agency. And um, But I realized I have a hyphenated name, something that I hated growing up. I have a hyphenated name and no one could pronounce the last part of it. And um, but I've learned I learned during that time was if I use one of the two last names, sometimes the felony doesn't show. And so that was actually uh, ended up being my my safe haven was I started to apply with just one of the names and it worked. Listen, that that is smart. I, I've heard of married women with two names using one or the other for different purposes, but smart move for sure. So you get into the hotel business. You're climbing the ladder there all, all the way up to general manager. Yeah, right now, at correct. that point, you're in a senior role. Money's looking way better, I presume. Most people would take that and be like, I'm good. I've, you know, I've got my family, I've got my career now, the past and those bad choices are behind me. I'm going to ride this out. But you have created a complete entrepreneurial empire since then. So how do you go from general manager of a hotel to business owner? Yeah. So um, that transition came organically. That was the first time once I was a general man, I knew I could motivate a team. I knew I had qualities to really help develop and grow a team. But once I became the GM and I was actually able to see the financials and I'm looking at the year over year. And so I'm naturally I'm going back to see what was done previous to me. And then I realized after my first year, we've hit milestones that the hotel had never hit in terms of sales. And so I'm like, hold on, if I'm helping make another family millions of dollars a year. I literally went to prison chasing behind some money. So I said, you know, I got skill sets that I could, if I figure out a way to apply to myself, I think I could be super successful. And so then it started to just be, became, I was going to work with a different lens on. I started to go to work looking for opportunities. And being that I was in the hotel industry, I was looking for opportunities within the industry that I could start something that, you know, I could then potentially do. And um, that all came to light. There was a casino being built in my hometown of Schenectady. Um, I sat on the hospitality board at that point. And so um, we all talked about how terrible the taxis were. And um, so it all started just with a conversation. I was like, hey, you guys all know me in the group. I'm thinking about potentially uh, opening a shuttle service. And I want to gear it strictly to our hotels because we know the taxis are terrible. And um and, you know, I got six hotels to say, yeah, we'll lose your, we'll use your service. So as soon as I got that, now I just went to work on building the business. And so um, kind of put the uh, in, in that instance, I, I put the, 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 the horse in front of the cart and I did it the right way because I lined up this before I even started to start a business. Unbeknownst to me at the time, that's great business practice. Um, and, you know, I think that's why that's been part of the reason, you know, Tech Valley Shuttle is what I ended up creating. Um, Tech Valley Hospitality Shuttle is what it's really called. Um, and the whole premise was to be the hotel-based transportation supplier. I, I already knew uh, kind of what tickled the hotel world's fancy in terms of, um, you know, they, they want heads and beds. I understood that most hotels have, a, some hotels have a shuttle service that won't even go outside of a three-mile range of their property. I understood that they're probably losing forty to $60,000 a year on that vehicle um, and, and offering that service because there's really no return on that. Um, and so I said, Hey, you know, I've started to pitch to the hotels. Well, with my service, we could go further than the three mile radius. It is save your company, you know, 20, 30, 40,000 a year. And, um, why wouldn't you want to do this? And so we went from six hotels to fit working with over 50 hotels throughout the capital region in less than a two year period. So that is unheard of for a lot of Mm -hmm. people we know coming out of, particularly as black folks who have a hard time raising capital whether it be from banks or private investors, we can't, most of the time we can't do a family and friends round where we say, we, we have this idea, can you put money in? So there's a survival aspect in those first couple of years that can be impossible for a lot of people. Forget growing, just surviving. So let's talk about the startup costs with, with something like this, right? This mm-hmm. is the kind of business where you need, obviously the vehicles, the insurance, it's not a one-man band to make this work if you're talking about you're serving multiple hotels from the start. So did you have the money? Like, how did you get this off the ground? Particularly because you have, what, six hotels who are like, we're in six immediately? Hotels, yeah, how did you start. make that happen? 
So um, I did. I was fortunate enough that I had some family members, two of my aunts, who um, were in position and willing to help. Um, so I, I, I was able to raise some capital from them. Um, plus, I cashed out my 401k. Um, you know, so I, I said I'm a bet on myself. Plus, I was still working at the hotel, so I had a guaranteed check coming in. And so I was able to, um, you know, the blessing being at that point, I was, we were married, me and my wife, we, we, we had a plan. Um, she trusted me. She trusted my vision. We understood through our budget and, and, and understanding finances that we could, we could live off of just her income. Um, it'd be tight, but we could do it. And we also had lived experience from, you know, going through the stages of humbling ourselves to, you know, we knew we could live off damn near off the land um, if need be. And so, um, and so, you know, that, that's kind of how we did it. Um, I invested in, in, in myself. I, I, I was able to raise, and it wasn't a lot of money. I think I was, I was able to raise maybe 15, 20,000. Um, but that was good enough to help me put the deposit on the vehicle to, um, have some money to, to be able to pay out payrolls, start to, you know, brand us, start doing some marketing stuff. So, um, it was definitely a nice jump start. And then I lucked up, like, again, I, I lucked up again because um, <laughs> I went to the bank and I, literally the company couldn't have been more than six months old. And I was able to secure a, a line of credit, a small line of credit, as well as a, a business credit card. Um, and they messed up. I was supposed to open up a personal line of credit, but they gave me two of them by accident. So, you know, I didn't close it. I said, oh, we got even more capital. And so, um, so you know, I... I, I basically ran the checkup on all that stuff. So do, do, uh, to get, keep the operation going. Um, but I, I lucked up and I, I honestly, to this day, I look back at it. I don't even know how I was able to get that funding. Cause it was through, it was through key bank, uh, a known bank. Um, and like, they're not known to easily come off the money like that. And so, um, I think it might've been just, you know, me still having a job at the time, you know, my credit was, was good. Um, and you know, I leveraged literally everything I had to, 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 to get it off the ground. So you have these six hotels in rotation, you've got some financing, you've now gotten employees. What were some, and things seem to be like just rolling for you pretty seamlessly, Mm -hmm. but what were some of Mm -hmm. the pitfalls in those early days? You know what? One of the, a lot of pitfalls. Uh, we weren't DOT qualified. Uh, we, you know, I, I had a sprinter. I didn't know that I, over eight passengers, you know, it has to be DOT qualified. So I'm running this, I'm riding dirty, dirty. Like, and so, uh, so, you know, that was one thing. DOT pull us over, roadside inspection, RSI. Um, naturally, I, we fail it. Um, but they also understood and they were actually really understanding. Um, and they, they pulled the vehicle off the road. They didn't find me, but they gave me the, hey, this is what you need to do. And so naturally I, I went right to work and made sure we were all in compliance in that space. Um, and um, that was probably one of the biggest um, hiccups uh, throughout the course of things. Um, also, you know, just the learning pains, you know, I, I've learned a lot over the years in terms of being sh- more strategic. Um, I'm someone who's kind like even my team, they call me the shooter because they say, just point me in the direction and I'm going to go. And, um, but I'm trying to change that because I'm learning now. Yeah, it's good to be a shooter and, and go, but it's also even better to be strategic and, and, and play more chess and, and, and be moves ahead of everyone else. And so, you know, that's more of the stuff I focus on now, as well as I would say early on, um, you're in the rat race. So you're, you're wearing every single hat within the company. Um, and at times, and especially for a lot of small businesses, um, that's when we lose ourselves because you might have came in to the to business for one thing, but now you're an accountant, now you're a marketer, now you're in sales. Maybe that's not what your passion was. And sometimes you get caught up in all of that and you lose sight of what you originally came into this for. And so um, I, I, I really throughout the process always stay grounded on wanting to continually work for the company instead. I mean, work on the company instead of working for the company. Um, it wasn't always that easy. Um, but, you know, I, I was able to line up uh, four team members uh, pretty, pretty right away. Um, so that 
So that way I still had the driving portion covered because I was not, I was still working. So I knew I couldn't get caught up in driving because I'm still running a hotel. Um, but that was a blessing for me because that allowed me to continually focus on working for the company. Um, and then I will also say another big thing was just the self growth and continually understand that I don't really know nothing about business. There's people that go to Harvard business school for business or whose families have been in business for years. Um, I didn't have any of that. And so I understood that I, I needed to put myself around individuals who could provide me with that sort of knowledge, or I needed to invest in myself. So that way I started to acquire business knowledge. And so um, I would say probably by, I started in 2016, but by 2018, I was already, you know, taking courses to support my growth, as well as, you know, indulging in transportation. I wanted to be a master of my craft. You know, the industry started to change because Uber and Lyft came, the rideshare came to the capital region. Um, that changed everything. The phone was ringing nonstop and then the phone just stopped ringing altogether. And so, you know, that was a, a, a big time for us too. Uh, back to your question, because that was the first time we actually pivoted. And, you know, even though we had all of these hotels that we were working with, now that people aren't calling us because everyone's using Uber and Lyft, I, we would literally be sitting at a hotel and someone has their phone out waiting for cars to come. And we're like, hey, you need a ride? Like, you need a ride? Like, you know, like, you need a ride? And they're like, no, it's coming. It's coming. And so, um, you know, we had to reinvent ourselves. And so knowing that I started to sit on transportation committees and I started to really look at the numbers where I lived. And I, that was when I, I realized that transportation and poverty go hand in hand. And that's when I started to kind of take a, uh, uh, looking at, at is uh, talking about this. No one, you know, yeah, we have public transportation in the form of a bus, but how much can buses really do for, for people? You know, like they're, they're limited to the routes that they're on. So people are still struggling. And so um, that's when, you know, Tech Valley Hospitality Shuttle, I changed it, the, the DBA, went and got a DBA to just Tech Valley Shuttle. So that way we weren't, you know, boxing ourselves in just to the hotel industry. And that's when we really just started to say, yo, we need to focus on building our own people up. And so, you know, through my lived experiences, through, through members of my team, you know, we started to share stories and the stories were all around transportation and how it was a barrier, different parts of our lives. And then we started to identify services that we could do that would support someone who might be going through the same thing. And um, so that's how we came up with our, our free community prison shuttle that we do monthly. That's to help reduce recidivism because we found that um, with every prison visit someone receives, the, the, the rate of return is reduced by over 12%. And so we we're like, look, if we could get someone you know, four or five visits within a year of them coming home, the odds of them returning is reduced by nearly half and just from visits. And so um, we also realized that most people who are incarcerated are oftentimes sent well over 100 miles from the place where they, they where the crime happened. So, you know, it makes it very hard for individuals. And if we're talking New York State, you know, we have to keep in mind New York City house millions of millions of people. And a lot of these individuals don't have a car because there's it doesn't feel like a need to have a car in New York City. So now you send someone a hundred miles whose family doesn't have a car, how are they gonna get to you? And so um, so you know, we really just started to focus on stuff like that. And then COVID came. And previous to COVID, we were like hitting on all cylinders. Everything was rolling. The hotels were rolling. We were helping schools. We were doing community stuff. And then COVID hit and it was just like, boom, we lost 98% of the business overnight. Um, it, it was devastating. And uh, me and my COO, Christopher, at the time, you know, we were deemed, uh, we were deemed, um, what was it? Uh, whatever, where you could just stay essential. We were deemed essential being transportation. And so we stayed open, um, but we had no business. And so uh, what we started to do is we just started calling nonprofit organizations and, and different organizations in our region and just asking, hey, how can we help? I have these sprinter vans, I have a school bus, whatever it may be. Um, and, you know, we know people are struggling right now, maybe to get to doctors or to get food or whatever that looks like. How can we be of help to you guys? And that's literally um, how we reinvented ourselves throughout the pandemic. Um, we were we were totally the first ones in line to help out in any way. We started doing food deliveries. We started doing medicine deliveries, um, all of these things. And we're doing it all complimentary. Like, hey, you know, it is what it is. Um, but the beauty of that is that those all started relationships. And then naturally those relationships evolved into now a lot of those same services we're continuing to do. But now we're funded, you know, through our, our community partners. 
So thinking about the number of times you had to pivot and the changes you, you've gone through and changes with really immediate financial consequences, right? When Uber and Lyft came on, people were like, you know, the regular consumer was like, this is amazing. I don't have to talk to anybody. I can just click a button and there's a car here. Gig workers, best thing that ever happened to them. But for people in this industry who had built whole business whole businesses on what was really an insular market that was not open to everyone, very real impact. Then, of course, none of us had anticipated what COVID was going to be and, and how it would alter our lives and our businesses uh, and our jobs for so long. But what kept you in what kept you in this industry me, being met with these challenges that really can just knock you flat on your back? Man, listen, I, there was days I was like, I don't know if we're going to open, be able to open Tech Valley up again, you know, like just being real I, conversations I had with my wife, like it might be over. Um, what kept us going, though, is uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm a lucky guy. I'm not going to lie or, or, you know, my higher power loves me. But um, in in so in March, uh everything shuts down. My birthday's March 16th. It was actually on March 15th or 14th. Everything started to close down. March 16th came on a Monday. And that's when we officially got the word from everything that everything was shut down. So on my birthday, essentially by April 1st or 2nd, I received an email from Amazon saying, Hey, are you interested in applying to be a delivery service partner with Amazon? And so, um, I had previously received this email probably in 20. 18, 2019, when things were really clicking on all cylinders. And at the time, I was a little arrogant. Um, I was feeling myself. And so I, like the question, I was right. I was I was absurd. Like I, I remember literally writing at one point, uh, like Google, Google us. Like why well, I'm telling Amazon to Google Tech Valley Shuttle. Like it doesn't make any sense. And so I'm telling um, <laughs> Amazon to Google you. Anyway, go ahead. Right. <laughs> and so um but, you know, I'm at home. Nobody's outside for real. I have nothing but time. So I diligently went through that application. I gave it my best shot. And, um, you know, and by July, I was forming my logistics company and I had an official contract to be a partner with uh, Amazon. And so um, so now we're still in the lab at Tech Valley during this time. And, you know, I have Chris and, you know, like I said, it's probably July. So we're still doing some community stuff, but some of those conversations I've turned into contracts where now we're having services going. And um, I told Chris, I came up with a strategic plan. Like, look, bro, um, I'm going live with Amazon in August. I'm I'm leaving Tech Valley Shuttle, like essentially for six months. I said, I need to go build a foundation for the for my logistics company, identify some key players, individuals I could put in some leadership roles. And you got my word that if you're able to hold down the fort for the rest of this year, um, he wasn't my COO at the time, but I told him, you know, that would be, that's where the opportunity was going to land because I knew he could, he could run the operations. And so that's what we did, man. And I, I ended up jumping over to GB. I, I built the foundation. I was on a hiring spree, um, built my team up. I identified key people. Um, and I just started to put them in roles. I started to take a step back. And then um, by the, by, by the, uh, well, that was 2020, um, by 2021, uh, I was back in the office at Tech Valley Shuttle and focused on growing that up too. And so, um, and and so now today, you know, we come out of all of that, and you know, Tech Valley last year had the best year we ever had um, financially. Um, we're looking for new space. We're bringing on new people to the team. Um, so we're growing. Um, GB Logistics, my logistics company, we went from uh, 12 vehicles to 20 four or 23 vehicles in less than a year's time. Um, you know, at, at our peak season, we, we t tend to have nearly 90, 90 or so associates on the team, G uh, Tech Valley to the 20. So, you know, in our peak seasons, uh, we have over a hundred and something people on the two teams. We have, you know, 40 something vehicles in the fleet. And, you know, all of this started in 2016. So I want to talk about being an Amazon partner because over the course of the pandemic, there have been some articles out about the dark side of being an Amazon delivery partner in that the quotas you're expected to, to meet, the schedules that you're expected to meet are basically inhumane. And so there have been founders of logistic companies like yours basically saying like, 
it's impossible to meet the expectation that they have. And we're being penalized. We can't keep drivers and all of that. How have you been able to overcome what some people make sound like just an impossible situation to be in? I mean, to be honest, every organization is its own organization. And so um, Amazon is like a franchise, just like a McDonald's or a Burger King. So they're going to give you like the, the fries and the burgers and tell you how to do the recipe, but they can't come in and run the show for you. And so, you know, I, I don't know what each person's experience is. All I could tell you is, is my experience. And my experience, you know, is, you know, we've been literally just last month, we were ranked number two out of the whole the whole network um, for what we do. So we're hitting our quotas. We're, we're doing what we got to do. Uh, I don't know. You know, I really don't know. And, you know, and, and I will say this, Amazon gives you the freedom to really run it how you run it. So, you know, if it if if it if you sink or you swim, that also is gonna a big part of that is how you run your organization. And so I I I was I would kind of leave it there because I really don't know how each person runs theirs. Um, but I know we've been super successful in what we do. We've been able to grow, I think, more than they even foresaw. Um and and in terms of how we treat our team, like I'm I'm somebody I, I offer my team extreme benefits. Like, you know, I have a partnership with a local uh, college. My team is able to get free college courses. It's an entrepreneurial college. So, you know, a lot of individuals want to do their own thing. And so, you know, we're able to help individuals take free classes in the college. We help individuals get their free commercial driver's license, even though that's not even a requirement um, with the expectation of them going on to do bigger and better things. And so I think for what we do, I think my teams understand I care so much about them that when they're with me, you know, they're, they're rock stars and, you know, and then they go on to bigger and better things. And, you know, I just feel blessed to be able to provide an opportunity um, to help individuals get CDLs, to help individuals go back to college, especially when we're able to help, you know, ex-offenders like myself. So that's a great segue into what I wanted to talk about next and that you did your time, learned meditation, studied all of those things. But you and I both know that the prison system is not designed to rehabilitate anybody and it's not designed to uh, deter recidivism. It's just not. Right. And it's an industry at this point. And it's there. It, it's profitable for some prison systems to have heads in beds. If we can if we can borrow the hotel uh, mm-hmm. mantra there. So looking at your story, it doesn't surprise me that you were able to pivot in your life and your career and and build this whole enterprise. But that's not always the case for brothers coming home. So being someone who wants to hire ex-offenders, have you run into a situation where you want to give somebody an opportunity, but there are challenges to overcome because they have been institutionalized and have had a different experience than you? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Yeah. So Two, that's twofold. So we run into problems, you know, um, so it's still so like if a lot of times, you know, people want to come in and experience the, the delivery aspect of things and getting the logistics. But we still also have to put everyone through the same background. And, you know, it has to be in agreement also with, um, you know, Amazon's views. And so there's times where individuals might not be able to pass that particular screening. But the flexibility I have is I still have another transportation company. And so if I'm really vested in this person, I can still provide you with an opportunity just on the other side. And I say the other side, cause when I'm talking to one side, I'm, then I say I'm on the other side. So I'm just used to saying the other side, but um, so I, I'm able that, so that's been, you know, a, a awesome thing because, you know, if I can't give you an opportunity here, I still could give you one here. Um, But then in terms of etiquette and, you know, just hiring individuals who, um, you know, some, some, some people on my, on my team have never worked a, a job before, you know, they, they, they were hustlers and then they, they just been in and out of jail and that's all they did their whole life. So I have individuals on our team where, you know, we're really the first job they ever had. And so we're really showing them the ropes in terms of what good work etiquette looks like. Um, and something as simple as just being on time and wearing a uniform, which would seem, you know, for someone who's been working, would seem like no big deal, like almost expected for other individuals. Like it's like the furthest thing from from anything like they don't get the concept. And so um, but we're really on on growth and showing people why um, 
also teamwork is one of the values on both sides, both businesses. And so a part of teamwork, one thing I'm always able to to help individuals understand is just like any sporting team, you know, the team wears a jersey and that jersey, you know, you, you, you play for the front of the jersey. Um, but you also play for the back of the jersey. And so it's no different with this organization. Like you come to work and we're all one team. We're Tech Valley Shuttle or we're GB Logistics. And, you know, that's our team. Um, and I want we want our team to thrive. And as a team, it takes everyone the team doing what they what they're supposed to do for the whole thing to work. And um, and so we're really able to kind of go back to my basketball experience and utilize a sporting concept um, to really help individuals buy in and understand the importance of stuff, as well as to then understand what a team looks like um, and how we're going to win or we're going to lose as a team. And I think we're so much talking about team, team, team all of the time and training every Fridays. We at Tech Valley Shuttle, every single Friday are training days where everyone on the team is undergoing some sort of trainings from the COO all the way down to a driver like, and everything in between. Everyone has trainings that they have to do. Um, at GB Sticks, we actually just brought in, literally this week, just hired, brought on a trainer. And like I, and Mark, I just said we were number two in the nation in our network, yet the goal is to be number one consistently. And so in doing so, it's reinvesting to bring in individuals who could be trainers and just focus solely on that. And so um, I understand the investment in in especially dealing with, you know, what I call sometimes special populations, people who would be overlooked at in other in other industries or other organizations. And we're able to really tap into that and show now nah, this is best practice. And I have a, a example. We had a, a young lady who had a, a commercial driver's license. She was working for another transportation supplier, but they wouldn't let her drive. And so they had her cleaning cars. And so, you know, we came over, she was a little rough around the edges, I must admit, but um, I come from that world. So it was easy for me to understand, but it was also easy for me to communicate with her on why you can't be like this here. Like you, you, you have to be professional. And so um, today last, she, she actually was the, um, she was our, uh, she won an award. We just had a holiday party in January for, for both parties, but she, I think she was the driver of the year. So she went on to be someone who was overlooked, wouldn't even be given the opportunity to drive for a company to be in our driver of the year. And so it just takes a little bit of a love and, and showing someone that you actually care about them. You want to see them win and you're going to put them in position to win as long as they're bought in also. And so um, it's, it's definitely been a great it's been a great experience. Um, it's something that I think in, in, in another life, as we talked about before, I'm sure I'm aware a lot of being another life. I think um, that's going to be an area I'm going to focus on um, when I'm done in the logistical space and in the transportation. I think I'm going to uh, really focus on, you know, setting my intentions on training and helping other ex-offenders to really understand how 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 to be a good person at work. And um and we know nine times out of 10, they're not dealing with someone that looks like yourself or myself. And so they're already stereotypes and they're already feeling some sort of ways around individuals. And so I want to be able to really show and coach them up on, you know, just work etiquette and and also, you know, how you can take it extremely far if you come in and you're the best version of you every single day. And so um, I think that's something that I plan on pursuing in the future because everyone talks workforce development and everyone wants to hire and wants inclusion and diversity, but nobody really wants to give the chance to some some individuals. And so I want to be able to really come and train and show individuals how they could really wow everyone and, and and oftentimes what we're looking for, all I was ever looking for was an opportunity. And I know that's all most people are looking for is an opportunity. And, you know, for people like you who've been able to build this great life and build this great business and really distance themselves from past wrongs, uh, we've all met this person where you have a conversation with them. They're doing great in their, li- their life. If they didn't say anything, you would not know that they had done time or whatever. And then you might have this conversation. They tell you off the record, oh, you know, I did a bid 20 years ago or what have you. And for you, it's something that you speak about openly. Uh, It's not something that you try to shove into a closed chapter, never to be spoken of again. And what drives you to be so open about it, particularly because you are politicking on committees and in communities where it, it may not be well received per se, to talk about that. So what keeps you going 
to be really open and explicit about your backstory? It came, it's funny, that came from, so when I, uh, when I first started the company, again, I've just been blessed. And I had the opportunity to do a uh, story on the local news channel, Spectrum News. And um, I told them that I wanted to just be transparent and, and, tell, and share my story. And so I shared my story and um, it airs and I'm excited. And then I go to one of the hotel partners and I'm talking to the general manager and he's like, you should have never did that. And I was like, so I'm like, what, what do you mean? And he was like, man, he was like, you know, so many people out here, they're going to judge you for, you know, sharing that story. They're not going to want to do business with you, blah, blah, blah. And so I go back home that night and I'm in bed and I'm like, I'm messed up. Like, you know, I, I should have never did that. And so me and my wife, we talking and she was like, well, babe, honestly, would you want to do business with somebody who, you know, don't want to do business with you because of a mistake you did in the past? And, you know, I let that really sit overnight and just flustered in my mind. And I woke up and I was like, nah, I wouldn't. And so anybody who doesn't want to do business with me, great. Like we already drew our land, our, 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 we already put our line in the sand. So we're good in that, in that instance. And I said, moving forward from this day on, I'm going to double down on my story because, you know, if I could share my story and, and help somebody else, impact somebody else, um, so be it. And so that's what I did. I just unapologetically would share my story to anybody who would listen. And then through my successes, I believe some of those same people who at one time probably wouldn't have rocked with me. Now it's almost like they're forced to rock with me because everyone else is rocking with us. And, you know, when you get Forbes and Bloomberg, you have these national publications that are highlighting you. You don't want to be on the outside of that, you know, in, in the local neighborhood, not cheering this person on. So, you know, through that, I think I've been able to win people, people over. And now what I tell people all of the time is now that I have people's attention and now people can see me and get past the fact that I was once someone who was incarcerated. Now it's my goal to continue to push the narrative because there's thousands of people who look like us who are right behind me in the same story that all they need is that opportunity that we talked about. And so maybe through my story, that might start to change the lens of how some individuals will view these people and give give the next person a shot. And so at this point, yeah, it's, unapo- it's unapologetic. Like I want everyone to share my story. I want individuals to know that, you know, you can make a mistake and, you know, it's not going to be easy. Like I, I never went on anything and said it was easy. I, I've given blood, sweat, and tears. I risked it all. Um, you know, there, there's times where I didn't know how we were going to keep the lights on like we shared. But at the end of the day, we continued on. We never stopped. And, you know, and now it's just like, hey, since since the eyes and ears are on us, now let's just tell them all, yeah, we've been felling. We've been to jail. And guess what? We still do good business. And guess what? I, I, could, I could have a, a, a big chain or, you know, like any of that. Don't, you can't just make any preconceived judgments on anybody until you really get to know them and know what their character and know what they're really capable of instead of just judging a book by its cover. And so that's kind of why I just unapologetically share my story. So you touched on a little bit your relationship with your wife and the evolution process that you both have have been through. But we both know that relationships that involve one party having done time often do not survive. Or if they survive, the toxicity and dysfunction that comes from the psychological effects of someone having been in the prison system is can be rampant in, in a relationship or a marriage. So how have you been able to build this healthy family unit. Can you get a little bit more into the the growth process there? Man, if I had it figured out, I I probably be rich for <laughs> being able to write a book about this or something. But um I would just say honestly for for us it's been all about communication, um trust, um and and not trusting just the the you know, relationship, you're not cheating, cheating stuff, trust. I'm talking more so trust of trust of leadership and trust of also of each other. My wife is amazing. Um, she has sets that allow me to be good at what I do. And I think vice versa. And so we, we're kind of like a good, like a glove, like we're just a good fit for each other. Like anything, you know, we have our ups and downs, our challenges, um, but I've learned through communication, um, you know, I feel like you could get through anything with, with good communication, as well as like, as I talked about growth. And so, you know, I'll, we're both always constantly looking to grow at this point in our lives. And so um, 
you know, I, I'm happy when I hear my wife reading books or, you know, listening to podcasts around things that she wants to explore and I encourage it. And then also I'm an open book with her, like a lot of relationships or, or even people in my own circle. I talk to them and, and I, I kind of look at their relationships from the advice, from what I hear. And it doesn't always seem even. And um, and I try to keep it even like and even in terms of I understand where I'm at. I, I've received a lot of notoriety. Um, no, there's times we can't go places without people. Oh, there goes Trent. Or, hey, Trent. Uh, um, but I always try to include my wife. I always want her to be a part of. I bring her to, you know, I want her to be in the banking meetings, just like I want my kids to be at the closing of properties and houses. Like I want us all to see this. I want them to understand that. All things are possible. If something were to happen to me tomorrow, knock on wood, I want them to know that I didn't do anything special. They could continue on and they could take it even way further. And so it's really just about, in my opinion, big part is just the communication, also sacrifice. You know, I, I've learned early on, happy wife, happy life. So, you know, I, I sacrifice a lot. There's a lot of things that I would love to do. But I just don't do because, you know, I know either a how it might affect my wife or how it might affect my kids. And so um, I'm, I'm, I'm very empathetic in that regard. Um, and, and for me, I, the way I see things like I don't think prison jaded me. I don't think that experience made me, um, you know, have like some of the psychological effects that it might have had on other individuals. Um, and so, you know, that's a blessing. And so I don't think that follows me. Um, like you said, oftentimes, even my, my child's godfather, his daughter didn't even know I was incarcerated ever before. When she found it, she was like, Trent? Like, are you kidding me? And so, you know, I, I just don't think a lot of people, if you don't know that about me, you wouldn't know it. Um, and so I don't think any of that really follows me. And so, um, but again, I think it's, it really comes down to the communication, the growth, the, the love. We want to be here. You know, we want to support each other. We want to see how far we could take it. We've been together since, you know, we were 16 year olds, like literally in high school. So, you know, we, we, we've seen it. We, we both come from the mud, you know, we both come from projects and, you know, not having light. So we've experienced all of that. And so, you know, we want to see how far we could take it in the opposite direction of all of that and, and how far we could take it for our kids. And so um, I think for us is it's bigger than either one of us. Um, but I think I think we're just a glove, a good fit. And, you know, she wants to grow. I grow. She trusts me and she lets me lead and, and I trust her and I let her lead when it when when it's when when she needs to lead. So it, it's just it's just a good balance, I think. And I think um, a lot of times people, especially a lot of fellas, a lot of times don't want to be open about finances. Sometimes they like I remember, like I said in earlier in the interview, there was times where I knew we were living off my wife's paycheck. Like that was literally how we were going to survive. And I was okay with that. She was okay with that. It was never, you know, I have to be the breadwinner or none of that. Like, you the breadwinner, great. As long as we got bread, we're fine. Like, you know, and, and so we'll figure it out. And so um, it, I think it, it's just def definitely just teamwork, having a vision, open communication, knowing where we want to go, game planning together, being a part of, making sure that everyone feels included and, um, and sacrifice. We both got to make a lot of sacrifices to make this work. That's great. And shifting gears before we let you get out of here, describe a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Yeah, every day. But I would say uh, extraordinary on an ordinary day. So, all right, example, I try to, for me, it's important to be even killed. Um, never too high about anything, but never beating yourself or get too low about everything. And this is something that, you know, is very recent. And I won't go into too much detail, but I'll just give you an idea. And so um, we were in talks with a, a really big organization of, of potentially doing something together. I thought everything was going great. I get a call a couple of days ago from someone who was kind of involved, but kind of wasn't fully involved. And they're kind of giving me some information like, ah, Trent, you know, who, people you think that are supporting you aren't supporting you in closed doors, da, 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 da. So all I could think about in this could be just the traumas of being a black man in America. But all I could think about was only reason they couldn't want to do this is because of the color of my skin, because everything else, I can't see why they wouldn't want to do it. And so I'm starting to allow myself to get into that space and that thought process. At the same time, it's like making me feel really bad because it's like, like, I can't do nothing about that. You know, like I can't do anything about that. All I could do is continue to be me. And, um, but, so one thing I try not to do is bring work home. 
So, you know, I'm home, the kids coming home. I got to still be dad who likes to laugh, joke, play, dance with the kids, turn up. And so um, I'm doing all of that. But inside, I'm still feeling like, ugh. Um, but I never allow it to show. I even at some point I had to go upstairs while they were playing and just before we started to really play, I started to just go upstairs and say, talk to my higher power. Keep me grounded. Keep me, you know, going strong. Keep these thoughts out of my head. Maybe these thoughts are not even real thoughts. You know, like maybe I'm, I'm thinking too much. So I let it go. Boom, boom, boom. Get past it. Ironically, the very next day, some of the people I've been in talks with getting this done, we get on the line, we're talking. And it has nothing to do with any of that. It's actually, they want me to work with them so bad and they don't want to make it so they have to create an RFP and allow others to even bid and then make it a bidding process. And see, and so, you know, after the communication and understanding the next day, I feel completely better. We're back on board. We're getting meetings back on the calendar and we're continuing the conversation. And so, but that was a tough day. And I think a lot of times, and I share that story just to say for all of us, there's good days, there's bad days, but we got to stay even. I'm looking at my clock right now. It's 11, 11. We got to like always stay even. And so, you know, and that's, I think that's what life is about. Never allowing ourselves to get too high, no matter what, celebrate your victories, but at the same time, never beat yourself up when, when things don't go exactly how we want. And so, um, and so I think that's something that everyone can 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 gain from because we all have good days. We all have bad days. Um, I think, though, as long as we treat the good days the same way we treat a bad day and a bad day the same way we treat a good day, things always tend to work out. And even in this interview, I said a couple of times, I don't know, I, I'm lucky, but I, I really don't think I'm lucky. I think the universe blesses me because of the energy I put out in the way I try to carry myself. And so I think I received those blessings. And I think those blessings are there for all of us to receive. It's just a matter of us putting the right stuff out, conducting ourselves the right way, um, never getting too high, never getting too low, never allowing our heads to get big, just staying even tilt just the whole time. And I think the blessings continue to come. You basically snatched the words right out of my mouth about this whole, that's really where I was going to end. Like you are not lucky. It's you are in a posture to receive. And the, the blessings are finding you as a result to w- of what you're putting out into the world and also just sowing good seeds uh, into blessing other people's lives to follow a similar path uh, as you have who may have the same backstory or a similar backstory. And I believe when you put that kind of good out into the world, good is going to find you in return. It doesn't mean that you're not without challenge, as we've talked about in, in your story. And I think sometimes what happens is we have something that looks like it's going to blow up our whole spot. And we just say, you know what? Maybe this was not the right decision. Why is this happening to me? I bet everything on this. And now look, it's an Uber. Now look, it's it's a mm-hmm. pandemic. Uh, but knowing that those challenges are just a part of the story and the journey, don't even know why, but they they come. But when you remain in that posture, the solutions and the, and the creative ways to solve problems will appear and new opportunities will present themselves. And in and, and your story and your career and professional journey as well, that is ministry. And, and there is, uh, there's a way to bless other people and encourage other people by telling the whole story. And, and that there's really, there's a lot of hard work, but the special sauce really is in believing that good things are going to find you no matter what. And so I appreciate you sharing your story with us today. If people want to learn more, about the work that you do, where the, where can they find you online? Well, definitely. Um, you could find me on LinkedIn. It's just my name, Trent Griffin Broth. Um, t- on uh, online on on Instagram, it's at Tech Valley Shuttle. Um, same on Twitter. Um, same on Facebook. Um, so uh, Tech Valley Shuttle, Google. Like I told Amazon, you could Google us or um, <laughs> or check us out on LinkedIn. Check me out. Um, and I'm I actually I'm hosting a. Uh, a web series, a four-part web series throughout this year is dedicated just to uh, women-owned, minority-owned business leaders um, to really give them best practices. My whole premise was to hopefully be able to, someone tune in, they would have literally everything they need to start, grow, scale, and and run a successful business. And um, being sponsored by a local bank, I have a lot of local resources that are that are being a part of this. Um, and But if anyone is, you know, you know, interested that's on eventbrite um and i think that's called 60 minutes uh 60 minutes with trent griffin bro and so um so yeah so you know you can check me out on those things and otherwise you 
check us out. We're, we've been in Forbes, Bloomberg. Uh, there's an array of articles uh, about the company, about me. I try to be very transparent, um, you know, and, and try to just give people the jewels so that they can do the same things. And let me just say this uh, end on a, on a light note. Trent Griffin Broff is a great executive name. You just sound like an executive with the hyphenated last name. <laughs> I know you might have hated it at one time or another, but listen, it works. No, nah, it works. And I appreciate that. It does. So even that, though, now we're we're very tactical with how we name our children. And so like some of our daughters, we gave them names like Taylor. So it's kind of non-binary. You can't really identify a race um, because I've realized through my life how important names are and how that, you know, plays a part. And so I. Looking back at it now, I absolutely love my name and and thank you for that. <laughs> it's great. Well, listen, I'm going to let you take the CEO executive hat off because it's time to get back on daddy duty. I know that. So, true. Um, so we appreciate you to our listeners. You know the drill. Uh, we know we have people who listen to this show who come from all manner of backgrounds. If you are interested in what Trent is doing, you want to follow up with him, please find him online. Sign up for his webinar. I already know the nuggets that are going to be in there based on what we've discussed in this interview. If you've enjoyed what we've talked about here or you think it could encourage somebody else, share it with them, like, comment, subscribe to the show. And as always, remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER.